The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guests' thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories, which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. Welcome back to Kavah the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. A lot of our stories here on Kavah start in a really hard place, and this one is no different. But like all of our stories, it gets better, and you will not believe how this one comes together. On today's episode, we have two stories that become one. And no, this is not a story of people finding each other and getting married, but it is a story about true love. My favorite part of our story is just the way the Lord, so when she's going through her darkest time of finding out she's pregnant. Right. having to tell people and all that right. we're going through our darkest time right. fertility and and we didn't know the other and mm-hmm. God was stirring that pot and we didn't know that he was about to put us together and change yeah. our lives. Welcome back to an episode that will make your jaw drop. Uh, I am here with Leslie Hamilton and Emily DeWitt. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so, Leslie, I'll start with you. Um, tell me about your early Memories. Do you have a first memory that you can Probably think of? One of my earliest memories, we lived in um, Bastrop, Louisiana, and my mom, we had wood floors, and she would let us ride our bicycles in the house. Oh, how fun. As long as we never took our bicycles outside. So that was super fun <laughs> until my brother talked me into taking my bicycle outside, and then that was it. And then oh. I had to ride my bike in the house again. <laughs> oh, gosh. And Okay, so who is in your family of origin? Um, you have a brother. I have a, one brother. He's... Three and a half, four years older than me, and then mom and dad. Okay, so you're the baby. I am the baby. And did you grow up all always in Louisiana? No, we just lived there three or four years. We were in Arkansas. Okay, so you moved. Mm-hmm. We moved a lot growing up. Oh, okay. So. Do you know why? Uh, my dad worked for um, Fred's, which is like a Dollar General. Oh, yeah. And they transferred their managers a lot, so I got moved around. Okay. Until seventh grade, and we moved to Hot Springs, and my family is still there. Okay, so you grew up in yeah, Hot Springs. Right but on, I was in a little town called Mountain Pine right outside of Hot Springs. So oh, wow. Tiny. So tiny. you were a suburb of Hot Springs. <laughs> you could call it that. I had uh, 32 people in my graduating class, so it was, Whoa. Tiny, it was a close-knit community, you know. Yeah. Small town Arkansas, like you would imagine yeah. it to be. Yeah. Do you have any favorite memories of growing up there? Um, in Hot Springs? Or just, yeah, uh, or growing up, period. I, I do. I thought of one this morning. I think our just our family vacations were always fun. Mm. We always would go camping somewhere. 
Um, so my brother and I fought a lot, as brothers and sisters do, growing up. But it seems like on vacation, maybe I'm remembering mm-hmm. different than my mom would remember it. But I just remembered we always got along, you know. Oh, that's just nice. Always just enjoyed being together. Yeah. And doing the jiffy pop on the fire. Oh yeah. That, so. Were they car ride vacations? Oh, yeah, uh huh. Those are the best. They really are. You don't think it at the time, yeah. but looking back, they really are. Being in the car all that time is good for people. Mm-hmm. It is. So. We went to Florida one year, and we all got sunburned, so then we had to be, we were sandy and sitting close to each other, and that, but <laughs> it was miserable at the time, but now we laugh about it whenever right. we talk about that. Right. Leslie had a sweet upbringing, and she loved her childhood. She treasured that free, innocent stage of life and could hardly wait to be a wife and a mother. So you grew up there, and then you went to, um, did you go to college? Uh-huh. I okay. went to Washtenaw Baptist University okay. in Philadelphia, Arkansas. There's a lot Just, of syllables. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. Um, so yeah, so I went there. That's where I met my husband. We started dating the end of our freshman year, and okay. uh, we were married by the end of our junior year. Oh, my golly. Where did you meet him? Uh, the first time I met him was on the steps of the student center. Because okay. his roommate was a guy I knew from church camp. Okay. And um, so I was talking to Greg, and Greg was like, this is my roommate, Wes. And um, so that was our first meeting. And then we worked in the cafeteria together um, as our work study. And that's where we became friends. Oh. love over the shepherd's pie. <laughs> That great place over the shepherd's pie. It was yeah. a good place to be. And we had our senior year. We married at the end of our junior year. So we had our senior year in that bubble. Because it's very, Washtenaw's a small school. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows everybody. And it's very much a family. So it was almost like we had a protected first year of marriage. Because we still were in a safe place. Yes. Know? And so we were able to just get through that first year. Okay. Together like that. And then you graduated. Yes. And went into the real world. Yes. Moved to Fort Worth, so West Coast Seminary, and I had a job. Okay. And that was all good? Yeah, it was good. It was a long process. It took us a while to get through seminary. (laughs) Yeah. Just because he took a church, and then his dad had uh, cancer, and then he died during that time. And so it kind of, you know, that that will set you back a little bit. Wow. Probably took a little longer um, than most people, but we made it through. Yeah. So I had a great job that paid every, you know, paid our bills and got us through. That's awesome. While Leslie was slowly leaving childhood and becoming an adult, Emily DeWitt took the fast track. So, okay, Emily, tell me about your, what what was your growing up like? Um, I'm an only child. And my parents still live in the same house that I was born and raised in, so here in Irving, Texas. Okay. And so I had a very simple life as far as, um, because we didn't move around and we didn't Mm -hmm. um, necessarily do a lot. We didn't do a lot of family vacations or anything. Um, It was a good life. I'm just saying simple. My parents, you know, both just kind of working. class, you know, kind of people that I had to be at the YMCA or some sort of daycare during the summer. Like it wasn't, you know, um, you know, both parents had to work and stuff. And um, I also was an only grandchild on my dad's side, um, which I know my husband likes to say I'm spoiled, but it was a good spoiled. And so I, uh, those are probably most of my, my Mm -hmm. best childhood memories is because um, even 
recently we were showing my children the elementary school that I went to, and I was like, and that's where my grandma would park and pick me up. She would pick me up constantly and, you know, ice cream mm-hmm. dates, or I'd go oh. with her to the, her house for the weekend and um, lots of, you know, simple yeah. memories, but that, right. you know, for sure, um, I guess, spoiled in that way, being an only grandchild. Um, but yeah, nothing to... <laughs> Nothing like to, I said, yeah, yeah. I'm just you know, I mean, it, I laugh because it's so different than I feel like what um, our my children are experiencing now. Oh, <laughs> because we just we move so often. So even hearing right. Leslie say that, um, but I was like, no, yeah, same, you know, same house, elementary, junior high, high school, graduate. Wow. Um, you know, so yeah, that's uh, that's sweet. It is sweet. I know. That is sweet. A lot of stability for yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so yep. you're high, you have a hiccup. <laughs> so you're going along and you have a, a life that is pretty stable. Sure. And so then something interrupts that. So I started dating um, a guy from church camp, I guess. Uh, my End of my eighth grade year, beginning okay. of freshman year, Um when I was a freshman, he was a senior, and my only boyfriend that I've had, except for the one person I'm married to now, um, and so we dated for, gosh, three years probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided he graduated high school and went on to college, and so partially probably because of that, but I'm also really thankful that I did. I decided to graduate as a junior okay. um, because, you know, I mean, not that I liked high school, but it wasn't anything keeping me there necessarily. So um, the summer before my junior year slash would be my senior year, um, Robert and I had sex one time and got I got pregnant two weeks before my senior year. And I knew that everyone was going to think that mm-hmm. I was a hypocrite. Like here we, we tried, we went through True Love Weights together. You know, we were mm. very involved in our church. Um, and actually, when we knew we had messed up, if you will, before I found out I was pregnant, um, we both like stopped talking to each other or seeing each other, which I actually think was definitely part of God's uh, sovereignty in my life because it helped. Because then when I found out I was pregnant and he said, well, I'm in college playing baseball, I can't be with you. It really helped me not be, we'd already spent probably two or three weeks of not talking at all um because looking back i mean if he would have stayed with me he i i i loved him you know he's my only person that i'd been with as far as a you know boyfriend and stuff so um i'm i'm kind of grateful that we spent many weeks not talking to each other so then when he decided well i can't be there for you um you know it didn't necessarily hurt or sting that bad you know because um but so as soon as he decided, you know, not going to be there for you, I knew, even though I was graduating that year as a junior, um, I was a really smart kid, a girl, and I didn't want to be a single mom. I wanted to go to college. Um, and so as soon as, you know, he said, I'm not going to be there for you, I told my parents, had to convince my parents that I wanted to do some sort of adoption. Emily's life was shaping up very differently from Leslie's. She was already about to be a mom with no husband by her side to support her. 
She even had to convince her parents to let her place her baby for adoption. Initially, my dad was very much like, you know, this is my flesh and blood. Like, I don't want Mm. to just, like, not know what happens to this child, you know? And so I remember saying that there's open adoption, even though I don't... um, I don't know if I really knew all the details of that, but I, I don't remember all the conversations. But I remember telling him, like, there are ways, you know, it doesn't have to be closed. Mm-hmm. You can still see whatever. Um, and so then in October of that, here I am, you know, I don't know how many months pregnant I would be at that point. But um, our youth pastor, my youth pastor at church, him and his wife were having their first uh, baby. And I can't remember if I told a lot of people up to that point. I don't know if I was necessarily showing. Um, but I remember just, I mean, I love him anyways, but feeling really compelled to tell our, my youth pastor, mm-hmm. um, maybe because they were experiencing, you know, similar things as far as having the baby and stuff. And so, yeah, I don't remember exactly why, or I mean, I know why, but I don't remember how I told JR. So this is Neely. Yeah. They're having Neely. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you are expecting. Yeah. Emily's youth pastor was named JR, and he played a pivotal role in her life. JR would later meet Wes, Leslie's husband. So let me ask you this. So you had a foundation in a belief system early on. Not necessarily in my um, childhood upbringing. Okay. But at some point. Yeah, my grandmother, I always say, like, she's like my Timothy referring to his grandmother. She's my spiritual rock and everything. So, yes, I grew up with my grandmother taking me to church. And so I got saved and baptized um, in sixth grade at her church. Okay. Which is actually how I even started going to church where JR was our youth pastor is because my neighbor two doors down, um, I Mm. started going with them to church. Um, and so I went wherever they went, and they end up landing um, at a church that eventually, you know, JR, um, I guess, came in being youth pastor about seventh or eighth grade. Okay. So, and that's how I, then with Robert, I met him at a, through a church camp. He didn't go to that church, but through a church camp um, that he was invited to. Okay. Emily had some serious grit as she went through this unplanned pregnancy. Not only did her boyfriend leave her in the dust, but now she felt like everyone at her school was whispering about her. In an act of maturity beyond her age, she decided not to hide who she was. Well, there's just a lot of working in your life yes. to get you to where you were at that point. And that's all I'm asking sure. is that um, do you feel like you could see all of God's sovereignty over what was happening in your life when you were at this point and you're like, J.R., hey, I'm having this baby. and I think that um, initially it was really hard and scary because mm-hmm. I was like everyone knows me as, you know, this Christian or, um, you know, how do I walk through the halls? Um, I do have to say I remember early on uh, through – another person who was pregnant who was not a Christian and watching her, mm-hmm. I don't want to say boldness, that sounds weird, but because you either, especially, I don't know about nowadays, but there was the stigma of seeing someone that's mm-hmm. pregnant and you don't talk about it and maybe they're even walking with their head hung down. And I remember this one girl, not that it's something that she wasn't proud of it, but I remember her um, 
just the way she talked about it, I remember thinking, there's nothing I can do. Mm. Like, it's, it's, it's here. It's happened. Like, I can't let it um, – I can't walk with my head hung down through the hallway, you know? So I made a conscious choice. And I remember distinctly even talking to someone about it early on before I was showing, a friend of mine. And she was like, why are you just talking about it? What else can I like, – right. I'm going to be showing and I can't, you know. So you were still – in so – this was in school that you were like, I'm going to hold my head high. I mean, I can't. Yeah. And through, so what's funny about you say, I think looking back, I mean, I definitely can see God's sovereignty, but I think God definitely sustained me through that because, um, he used even that part Mm. in such a cool way because there were people who saw me not holding my head down that would either come and say, can I touch the, can I touch your belly? Or a couple of girls who weren't necessarily friends of mine, but that are my grade that came and told me I had an abortion last year and I, I'm just enjoying watching you, you know? And so that was really cool just to be able to use that. And I know it opened my eyes a lot to some of the girls that were in our, my youth group. I actually ended up changing churches that year because there were several people in the youth group that definitely treated me like what some people would think that how Christians would act in a negative way, right? And so I um, I learned a lot about that. And I know even during through the pregnancy, I definitely had kind of a, a phrase and, and I feel like God gave me even more kind of boldness of, hey, if you got warts every time you lied or gossiped or one of these other just as worse sins, right. you might be pretty ugly. My right. sin is visible. Right. And yeah, it's, you know, not what God wants, but right. you reacting that way to me or me walking in that shame is not going to, mm. you know. Absolutely. So I definitely think that through that, you know, God, because then I, I, when I graduated that year and went to college, a lot of my college friends say, like, I remember you as the girl who talked about her pregnancy. I just went in and was like, hey, hey. had a baby last year. And, you know, I don't know. I don't remember. Like, you know, but I had lots of friends that would tell me that. Like, oh, I remember you. The girl who talked about her pregnancy. Oh, wow. So I think. Well, um, and you you probably opened up some people. You were safe to share some things that people had had secrets about. True. And um, so that's sweet that and you don't you probably don't even know how God used you. Sure. For sure. People's lives. Emily was getting ready to bring a new life into the world, and she was changing plenty of other lives while she did so. Meanwhile, Leslie and Wes were approaching the idea of having a child of their own. Okay, so you are in Fort Worth, yes. your husband's. We were in seminary, <laughs> and I was working, and um, so I never did well with birth control. It was real, like I've always felt like I was in a deep, dark hole whenever mm. I was on it, and um so our first year of marriage um, was good. You know, we were in our uh-huh. bubble. Yes. But still, I struggled because I was dealing with some depression from, uh-huh. I think I probably had some depression anyway, but um, the birth control made it worse. And after a couple of years, I was just like, I'm, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go uh-huh. off birth control. And we prayed about it, and we were like, you know what? If God wants us to have a baby, we'll have a baby. And he uh-huh. You know, we're seminary students. We don't know how we're going to pay for that or how that's going to work out, but whatever, we'll just do it. 
So I told my doctor, who who is a believer, and um, I said, "We that's what we've decided." And he said, "He said, you know what we call people who um, choose to let, you know, God decide when they have babies." And I was like, "What?" He said, "Parents." <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if you go off birth control, you're going to be a parent. Um, okay, well, we'll deal with that if the time comes. So the first year goes by, and we're just like, yay, God. Yeah. And have a baby, yay. And then year two goes by, and it's starting to get a little more concerning. And uh-huh. then um, into year three is when he was like, oh, yeah, we probably need to start testing. And so mm-hmm. we went through all the battery of tests that you do when you go to a fertility specialist. And um, they told us we had a 1% chance of conceiving naturally. Um, which are not great odds. Oh, wow. So and, what did that do to you? Um, it broke my heart. Yeah. You know, my, um, I just wanted to be a mom. I wanted yeah. to have babies and stay at home. And um, so it wasn't just that it was a baby. It was my whole career path, you know, was suddenly, what am I going right. to do now? Um, so, so we're sitting there and they tell us that and it's just white noise in my head, you know, buzzing and just, you know, can't really take it in. And then they said, but your insurance covers, um, we call it artificial insemination. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what it's called now. Um, which was unheard of because insurance doesn't cover stuff like that. It didn't back then. I don't know if it does now. And it was going to be a $10 copay. So we were like, dude, this is it. The Lord has got, you know, yes. he's got a plan for us and it's going to work. So we continued, you know, did all the tests you have to do. And then we started the process and, um, we tried twice, and um, neither time I was completely comfortable, completely at peace. But then there's that whole ten dollar copay, right? Which is a miracle. I so know. That's gotta be yes. A, you know the yes the door that God has given us to walk through. Um, so at that time, Wes was my husband was traveling and speaking at church camps, and so mm-hmm. he'd be gone 10, 12 weeks at a time. Oh wow! He'd only be home on the weekends. You know, it's a very small window of. Right. possibilities of getting pregnant so he kind of needed to be around so we decided to put everything on hold until he got back and during that time I just think the Lord was working on me and um, there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing ethically right. wrong with it I just didn't have a piece about it and um, one day we were driving home from church or I was driving home from church because Wes wasn't there um, and I just felt you know I think God speaks to you primarily Primarily through his word, right? The Bible, um, and he uses preachers, right? You know, speaking the word through the, using the Bible. But I think occasionally he does just speak to your heart clearly, mm-hmm. and in this instance, he did. And he said, um, "I'm going to give you a baby, but it's going to be in a different way." And he said, "I want it to be a testimony." Um, so when Wes got home from camp, I was like, "All right, this is what I think God is telling mm-hmm. me." And he said, "Okay, and we'll just move forward." And for whatever reason, it didn't, From I just thought, we're just not going to have babies, you know, I'm, I'm okay. just going to, even though the Lord said, I'm going to give you a baby, I just, in my head was like, that's just, we're just not going to have babies, and yeah. my job is to support yeah. us in his ministry, and yeah. there's something else he has for me. Um, so during this time, we had not told our family about the infertility. Mm. Um, it's just personal. And I didn't want people asking me all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah. What was going on? And it, plus, we were at the age of everybody's having a baby, and I mm-hmm. didn't want them to be uncomfortable because I did take joy in other people being able. Mm. It may not happen for me, but I'm excited for you. you mm-hmm. know, if you can have a baby, so um, it was difficult for sure. Right. But I, we just weren't sharing. 
Like Emily, Leslie had a secret of her own, one that was much more difficult to share. And so after that happened, it was like, okay, it's time. We need to start telling people. So we told our parents, um, and not a whole, I don't know if we'd really even told anybody else. Mm -hmm. But um, during that time, so... Lance Shoemaker likes the credit for this, but he actually <laughs> introduced Wes and Jr. Like y'all would really hit it off. You need to um, get to know each other. So they had lunch together, and Ginger was mm-hmm. pregnant, and so conversations turned to babies and when mm-hmm. y'all had children. And mm-hmm. so that was the first time Wes said, "Well, actually, we found out we're not going to be able to have kids." And um, so it's just funny to me that it was shortly after. So all that's going on with Emily, right? You know, so I, you know, told him that I was pregnant, and then somewhere along in those next few weeks, uh, Wes knew Jr. from doing um, student camps. Okay, and um, but Wes and Jr. talk about babies and the yeah. idea of having babies and that kind of thing, and Wes shares with Jr. Um, their infertility uh, struggles. And so Jr. says, hey, I know mm-hmm. a girl in my youth group that is pregnant. And I'm assuming I told Jr. that I was looking at adoption. That's why mm-hmm. he would say that. Um, and so Jr. comes and tells me, I know this couple. And I think my parents had one other name of somebody. I mean, mm-hmm. looking back so long ago, like, it wasn't like you could just, I don't even right. remember. But I just knew... 100% I trusted JR and wow. loved him what and that this was going to be a good godly family like I 100% was like yeah if you wow. if you're suggesting them and you think here's someone that you know yeah like that awesome. sounds great <laughs> let's yeah. let's do it yeah i'm just like my head is is spinning at all the how much it took to orchestrate this yes. cuz yeah. you and you in your humanness could never orchestrate this yeah. ever. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah. Um, so anyway, a few weeks after that, uh, we get a call on a Saturday night, like at 10 o'clock at night, and it's JR, and he said, you know, I know we just met, and I'm probably overstepping bounds here, but I there's a girl in my youth group, and she's pregnant, and I just felt like I needed to tell you about her. Um, would it be okay if I told her about you? And we were like, absolutely. And, uh, wow. So he did, and um, so that was early, like October or whatever, and her family wanted her to wait until the first of the year to meet us, because okay. that's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of things that can happen, and right. yes, to cause us more pain, you know, oh. if, if she right. Because right. you were, what, 15 turned 16, or were you 16 turned 17? 16 turned 17. Okay. Um, so you had your driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we went through that fall of, you know, just praying a lot. Yeah. Um, so what was that like? It. Were you just like holding your breath? Like this could be, or like, yeah, we but, tried to really keep us, a, a, what's the word? A steady head, you know, okay. about it. Um, I was probably more emotionally involved mm-hmm. than Wes was because I'm female. And right. Right. That's how I roll. There was hope. But hope almost made the waiting worse. Um, so, and we had still at this point, we didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell our parents. JR and Ginger were really the only ones that knew that we could talk to, you know. Wow. So we talked to them some. And 
he would fill us in on, no, she's still good. She's that's still the direction she wants to go. Wow. And he did tell us about her parents had somebody else in mind that they might, and then it was just like, oh, no, we're the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we just did a lot of praying. Right. And during that time, one really hard moment for me. So there's one during our infer- you know, our testing and the right. artificial insemination. The first two weeks, or the first week of that, I would always be super hopeful. Mm-hmm. And then the second week, I would kind of crash. Right. And there was one year, it was the first week in the Mother's Day fell in between mm-hmm. the second week. And that was one of the worst. Because I went to church, and, you know, they give everybody the flower. And I was actually late intentionally. I'm always late. Yeah. I was intentionally late that day because I knew they were doing that. But I didn't tell Wes that's why. And so we got in a big fight on the way there because we were so late for church. And they had, because I wanted to be there after the welcome. Right, right. Stuff, but we got there right as they were passing oh. stuff out. And a friend turned to me and said, Happy Mother's Day someday. And I just burst into tears and ran to the bathroom. And it was, I have a big heart for people on Mother's Day because there's so yes. much pain. There's so yes. much joy. You know, you want to celebrate your mother and, but there's also a lot of people yeah. who can't have babies yeah. or those who have just lost their mothers or lost their children. Lost their children. I mean, it's a hard day for a lot of people. And Wes is a pastor now, so we take that into consideration right. on Mother's Day. Yeah. And we always he always mentions, you know, I know this we've lived it. It's, yeah. It's not easy. So that was during infertility, that was a hard thing. But during the wait, um, that was difficult is so Wes is the oldest of his cousins. Um, he's an only child. Yes. So his cousins are my, to me, like brothers and sisters-in-law. Uh-huh. Um, and his cousin got pregnant during that time. Mm. And I was so excited for her, but when I hung up the phone, I just burst into tears. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. for whatever, in my head, it was like, Wes is the firstborn. He should have the first grandbaby. And mm. And so that was really difficult. So did you feel like you failed? Like, um, because it's not the way it should have been? No, I okay. didn't. I, I had a little bitterness because okay. I followed the rules. Mm. Right? You know, yeah, one plus one equals two. Right. <laughs> I saved myself for marriage, you know, and mm. I felt like that I should have got been rewarded for that. Yes. And that's not how it works, you know. Wow. We're, we're not obedient for the reward. We're obedient because that's what God's called us to be. So I've learned that lesson. Wow. Um. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. So anyway, that was 1999. So for mm. those that remember, yes. in the year 2000, the world was going to fall apart. Yes. Airplanes were going to fall out of the sky. <laughs> all the computers were going to quit working. Communication systems right. were going to fail, all of that. Yes. Um, so like I said, her family wanted to wait until the first of the year. So we were thinking, you know, sometime in that first week, maybe she would call us. And Wes did a... Um, a New Year's retreat at a camp in South Texas. So we were down there. We were mm-hmm. at our house where we could answer the phone. And um, But in those days, you could magically call home and punch in a code, yes. and it would give you your voice <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so we did, and there was this phone or this message from, hey, this is Emily, and she wanted to get with us. So we sat together and put a time down and um, made, a, made an appointment for her to come over to the house. Wow. Leslie's problem was Emily's solution, and vice versa. It seemed to be a match made in heaven. But as Leslie and Wes got ready to meet Emily for the first time, 
A million thoughts raced through their heads. They had heard all the stories about adoption attempts going terribly wrong, and Emily was so young. Would she change her mind? Find out on next week's episode of Kaval. Thanks again for listening to Kaval the Podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures and podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kava the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.